All right. Uh, Natalie Nagel from Wildbit is with us. Hello, Hi. everybody. Hi. We haven't had an interview in a while, so this is nice. That's good. true. Yeah. So listen, I was at Piers, and I was slowly getting drunk, um, <laughs> and uh, there was lots of great people there. And uh, the most surprising thing, I met lots of, well, we, we talked about this last time, but Natalie and Chris were a surprise, not only uh, because they're great people to uh, get drunk with, but also because like it's rare that like I like we we've had meetups right we had meetups you and me Ian where like mm-hmm. people come over to us and they're like staring at us and like why are you staring and they're like it's like looking at the podcast because we've been listening right. to you for four years <laughs> it's the same thing I've been following like Wildbit is up there on a pedestal for me like I have this very yeah. short list of companies you right. escaped to and Wildbit <laughs> and like Fog, Fog Creek, Creek was up there right, right? <laughs> like say Fog Creek and like they're like up there and all of a sudden they're like normal people in front of me so that was really surprising so i think you're being a little generous with the normal oh, yeah. oh, well okay well. <laughs> yeah i don't know if I about that's it normal but yeah you know usually it's like a bit intimidating or you try to I don't yeah. know, impress them or, or or whatever but this was this was surprising and how comfortable it was so i'm like any excuse to have uh natalie or chris on to to chat some more or you know i'll go out to philly I'll, I'll have you have to come out to Philly. Philly's the best. Philly is great. Philly is great. I love Philly. So good. Uh, yeah. But that, that that's even kind of makes up an interesting thing. This would be a good uh, person to talk about this with because I feel like this, I don't know. I don't know if it's just my perspective and I'm a little bit more checked out of these things than I used to be, but I feel like the wild bit fog Creek, even userscape, like that style company, I feel like it's like there's not as many of them as there used to be or something, you know? Like you have startups and you have big companies, but this like medium software company, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like it's, I feel like you don't see as many people like start something and then get to medium software company size bootstrapped as you used to. Uh, is that true you guys think or is that just my perspective? I mean, I think you're, you're probably right, but I think it's more, I mean, and we've been doing this all for so long, I think the we all talked about these types of companies more earlier on, right? Like I think now yeah. it's just harder to get that out in the open. And the more I go to places like Peers or, you know, like our other conferences, business software and stuff like that, like you bump into more more companies that are like this, like trying to build a sustainable business, you know, building software. Um, and they're just, when you're so busy just trying to do it, there's a lot less like, that's true. It could just be that. Around right? It, right? Like, I think, I think that's at some point, like, who's going to write about, like, oh, shit, we were profitable this month. Okay. Like, Again, you know, right. I, I, and, and I'm not, you know, I get it. Like, you know, news has to be interesting, right? So if, if you're kind of moving along at a normal pace, then it's not really news, right? So I don't know. I mean, I think you're right. I think the, the starting off point is not like very frequently, or at least not very frequently talked about to be like, oh, I want to be like this sustainable, profitable software company. It's like, no, I want to either grow something huge or you have this huge group of other folks who are like, I want to be in this, you know, info products, you know, right. I want to quit my job and be me. Yeah. Yeah. Solo or with a, a contractor or something. Yeah, I, awesome yeah. Too, right? yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, people do great with that stuff. Um, and I do, I do think, I wonder if that's taken part of that market, right? It's like everybody like 14 years ago, 15 years ago, I think Wildbit started kind of around then too, right? Like, I mean, you guys have been around at least 10 years, right? 17. Yeah, 17. Yeah. 17. Yeah. yeah. So I, f- I thought it was about the same time as me. So, um, yeah, it's like back then, like there was like, that was it. Like you were trying to be a software business and that's what pretty much everybody was trying to do. And now there is this whole other avenue for those same type of people who would have otherwise started a software business to do, yeah, like info products or consultants are like killing it right now. So they're just staying consulting because... They're just printing money over there. So um, I think you do. Maybe there is like a, a somewhat smaller pool of people. And also to that, I just pay less attention. I'm sure, like now that we have three kids and the business is kind of established. Yeah. Like I used to be like rooting around in the dark forum corners <laughs> of the internet. And now it's like, whatever, if it doesn't come across my Twitter feed, I'm just not even going to see it because I don't go, I don't right. root around anywhere else and uh, see what's going on too much other than like our own bootstrapped forums, which has a cool little community. But not like off in the weird edge cases of the internet. So could could be perspective too. 
Yeah. And I mean, if you think about the companies, I don't know, I'm sure similar for you guys, but like we looked up to the Fog Creek and the base camp and, you know, like that was 37 signals back then, you know, like that was, that was the goal. Right. And today I think there's a lot less people with with that as the goal. It's Stripe and, you know, and whatever. So just different. So we're all just waiting for uh, Garrett's book version two to come out so they could learn how to build companies again. Friday. Oh, is it? Okay, Friday, cool. it's coming out. Yeah, super exciting. I keep giving. He's like, "Oh, it's coming." I was like, "Bullshit, it's coming." And then he finally, he's like, "It's coming." I swear to you, it's Friday. I was like, "All right, let's do it." I'm super excited for him. It's hard, man. He's got like a job. He's got kids, and they moved. You know all that stuff. So I'm excited for him. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah, that is, that is tricky. So many people do that nowadays too. With like, oh, like a lot of the employees that use Escape, everybody has kind of a side thing going on also, and it's uh. It's crazy, and they're all in that. A lot of them are at the stage where they're having kids too, and all that. So, uh, Userscape is practically like an incubator at this point. <laughs> kind of Everybody's got like crazy side hustles. It's kind of funny, but that's because we hire entrepreneurial type people, you know. And I think that's one of the okay. things we've looked for. So, I don't think you can. I know, like obviously, a lot of companies suppress that, um, but I've always been okay with it, uh, as long as like you put in your kind of forty hours at Userscape. It doesn't bother me if you have, you know. A, whatever going on like we, we have, i mean some people have like airbnb you know, right. other people have pro- content stuff so do you that's, that's actually we were just talking about this do you do you kind of clarify i guess the difference between like moonlighting or side projects like if somebody i'll give an example like if somebody is in a con i don't know a marketing role and they want to do the same kind of marketing work for pay for other companies like, is that okay? Or is it more like, oh, you can build like a cool little app or like a widget, you know, or whatever you want to yeah. do on the side? Well, we don't really have that exact situation. So, I mean, I, the only thing explicitly like contractually they're not able to do would be like help desk customer service type sure, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and so otherwise, I've always been pretty much fine with them doing other stuff. We haven't had too many people. I don't think we've ever had anybody who really consulted. So that really, at least not kind of like a significant amount of time right so i guess we haven't really went out across that so i haven't really given that much thought it's mostly been like product content type products and uh there was one like app side project the kind of th- more like a service that ended right. up he ended up leaving to do that kind of full time which is fine uh so yeah besides that it hasn't been too much but i, I kind of think like if if you don't let them do it, they're going to do it anyway. So it's like, I mean, I would, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, unless you're really literally contracting them like to not do it, which is fine. And companies do that. Um, if you want to go that route with that, I know like Basecamp does that, right? Like you can't have side stuff. So I think uh, they can, I, they have a really, so I, I, uh, I agree. I mean, I think from our perspective, like I just, that ability to do creative work is right. Really important. Right. And having that like flexibility to go, I think outside the box is like a, core value for us right but i and i uh, where things got weird was this we work 32 hours a week right so everybody has like a full day off and uh you know i don't want people using that day to then go like consult and try to make extra money because that defeats the whole purpose of taking that extra day right like to regroup think creatively and do all this stuff i think contractually it's it's been a weird i mean we haven't really run across it like we've you know, Dave Martin, who just joined the team recently, they just launched a little product, like side product, and it's like super cool. And, um, you know, I have no problem with that. I just, I think there is a point where if you're learning a skill set and then trying to go sell it, then that gets kind of weird, right? Because then it's like, where's your focus? Or, you know, I don't know how things like doing support on a product, like what if you have like support during the day? Like, I don't want my team switching context. Like, every right. checking like right. a support mailbox for no, another product. No, you definitely can't supporting. do that, right? Right, right. <laughs> right. So I think like, I, we're just kind of going on a, as you know, as needed. Let's discuss spaces, basically. Like, let's make sure we all feel good about it. And yeah, I think that. Um, I mean, uh, it's tricky. Like, I mean, definitely the one person who had an app that got kind of big. I mean, I basically was just like, you got to go work on that. <laughs> like, you shouldn't even yeah. work here anymore, right? And so, uh, just like had that conversation. It wasn't like firing him. It was just like this okay. thing's gaining traction and. I don't want you to be, and you know, he wasn't like doing things during userscape work hours, but at the same time, obviously when it gets to a certain size, um, you know, it's going to be a distraction. So, and I was fine with that. And I kind of think, I guess I kind of see it as, I don't know, like, obviously, at least I'll just speak for userscape. We can't pay people what 
these people could earn if they went and worked at Amazon, right, or mm -hmm. different things like that. And so I kind of view it as this is one of the benefits. Like you get to work from home is one. You can work on these other initiatives you might be interested in or other areas that interest you and maybe make money that way and, and, and in a more valuable way for a lot of them uh, because it's like a thing you own and a thing you you have like a lot of the employees have like essentially like personal brands. Um, so, and I'm willing to accept that trade off essentially of like giving that, you know, cause we, we, there's some things we can't provide that a bigger company could, um, but kind of leveraging the ability to provide those other benefits, uh, that, that a big company won't let you do, right? Like they're not going to let you have a side project. So, uh, so yeah, I think that's been kind of a competitive advantage at times for us in like hiring, but, um, yeah, and, and the day off one's interesting. I hadn't never really thought about it that way. I, I don't know. I wouldn't like, do you enforce that? Like, are you actually enforcing that? Do you know what I mean? Or is it more of kind of like your intention is for them to not use that day for, you know, a side thing? Um, no, I don't mind them like using it as a side thing. I think. Like if they had another job. Yeah. Thing, like I don't want right? them to like, get a second job. You know, like there's like that, especially if that second job is in the same thing they're doing and like right. learning on our job. Right. Like I think there is a part where, you know, there's, it opens up the opportunity for dishonesty and kind of, you know, especially where like the profit sharing is a whole team, you know, like that whole stuff, like you want to yeah. make sure. But the de the point of that four, I mean, we're very like consciously choosing to do a four day work week because we want the right. team to have that extra day to, you know. Out. Yeah. I mean, especially <laughs> for us with kids. I mean, it's so funny because it always comes back to kids, right? Or families. And, and uh, not that it's not valuable for everybody. It clearly is. But you know, like that whole weekend warrior thing, like we know, like weekends are not relaxing. It's like by the right. time Monday hits, you're like, oh my God, like I'm so tired. And so having an opportunity on a Friday where your kids are in school, right? Like everybody right. else is kind of working and you can go do shit, right? Like yeah. build a deck that you wanted to build or right. go pick up your laundry, go for a three hour, uh, three hour bike ride, whatever, right? Like things that are just much harder on the weekends. Um, and then it, you know, for us, like the team runs to work on Mondays, you know, like just, yeah so refreshed and so ready to go so yeah that's pretty cool we do we do half day fridays over the summer we haven't gone to like the 32 hours yet i don't know i don't know if we could quite pull that off at our size but i would like to um but even just like over the summer it's like such a huge thing and everybody totally. loves it and just to be able to like leave early and yeah, do other stuff in that time and, and yeah. all that stuff and uh i don't know i don't know if you guys have i've ever calculated this but one of the things that freaks me out I'm sure you have it much uh, larger is like when you actually go through down into all the kids of every, like all the dependents, you know, and you're like, holy cow, this, my little company with like six people is actually responsible for like 23 people. <laughs> so like with the, with the significant others and the kids and everything, and you're like, holy cow, it's pretty wild. And obviously wild, it's a lot bigger. So it's gotta be, you know, in the uh, over a hundred or in the hundreds of people. And it's kind of amazing. Uh, that yeah. Try not to go there. Right. <laughs> Increases the stress a little, little too much. So you, you guys, you guys are what, 20 some odd, 30 some odd people now? 28. 28 people. At what point did it become, like, I know you guys started as a consulting show. Right, right. At what point did it become like, like the focus became like the products are only there really to facilitate a place for these people to like be able you to know, have good jobs and, you know, build families and stuff. I think, in all honesty, like, I don't know, like, I could tell you, like, pinpoint a specific time, but there was a point um, a bunch of years ago, maybe, like, five years ago, I don't know, six years ago, something like that, where um, Beanstalk kind of started to plateau from a revenue standpoint. It was our largest product, right? And um, uh, Chris and I really felt kind of helpless in, like, what that meant for the business and how to get out of it and, you know, and all the pressures, like, he said of, like, oh, my God, you know, we, you know, this is a company and we have to figure out what to do and we have to grow, 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 grow. That's the only thing you hear about. And um, we started doing a lot of soul searching around that time. Like, it kind of was like a dark time emotionally. And, you know, I tell, tell people, like, I talk about all the time, but, like, Chris went on, he took a month off of work and he went to Bhutan with his dad and hiked the mountain and, you know, kind of took a break. And we just went through, like, a lot of, soul searching around that time we started you know coming up with values and there's just like a, there was kind of like a longer process it wasn't like one day but there was a a part of that process where you start thinking about why like why are we doing this right like why did we start a business 
Like, why do we have employees? Why do we build products? You know, like, what is the why? And I know that sounds cliche, but when you started to, when you stop to answer that question, you start to realize that growth on its own is not a goal. So then it was like, oh, okay, well, if we're not, we didn't start a business to grow. Like we didn't, we definitely didn't start a business to be a billion dollar company, right? Like we know that about ourselves. Uh, It doesn't mean we don't want to be successful and, you know, make a lot of money and make sure the team makes a lot of money and build things people love. Like, don't get me wrong, but you know, we don't want to be a billion dollar business. So it's like when you started looking at it that way in a lot of that soul searching was, you know, the realization that we actually did this for a lot of other reasons, like the autonomy to make decisions on our own, to, you know, to create an environment that's like, really special for people to work in, right? For ourselves and for the people to be around really smart people to, you know, to obviously prove that we can do it our way and all these things. And so when you kind of package that all up, you realize that the products are a piece of that equation. They're not the kind of the solution, right? They're not like the end of it, right? They're the, the kind of, uh, the, the means to creating this company. And I think part of that we're lucky because we have wild fit, right? We have this like brand, this company, that has products that have moved in and out of the company. We had Newsberry, which was an email service provider. We had Beanstalk, which is the biggest product. Postmark became the biggest product. Deploybot, we built and sold. You know, so things have kind of like moved in and out. Yeah. And the team has more or less stayed together. And we've been able to move people into one from product, one product to the other. And so you just get this realization that Wildbit is the company. And we build really fantastic products that people really love and are committed to solving real problems for our customers who bring us all this validation and, and make us really feel good and, and, and are why we do this. But ultimately they feed Wildbit, right? They exist for Wildbits and Wildbit is the people. And so therefore like the products exist for us. And that's just a really powerful shift in mindset because then you're like, okay, well, why do you have to grow? And like, how big do you need to grow? And how fast do you need to grow? And what does growth mean? And, you know, and you kind of like, I don't know, it just for us, at least it really changed the conversation. It, it took a lot of the pressure off, I guess. It was like, okay, well, growth is good, right? Because you have to grow, you have to grow to stay relevant, you have to grow to make sure that you don't get like swallowed up by somebody who's growing and you're not and thinking about innovation. You know, there's like a lot of things involved yeah. in this. But it was like, but you're growing for the purposes of enabling this company, right? Enabling these people to have a four-day work week, right? Nobody can tell me not to do it because I get to do whatever I want. So it's like that took, and then we're like, okay, well, then how do we control this, right? And that became, brought it all back into our control. And, you know, a lot of depression and, and anxiety is because you feel like you're losing control, right? So when the more you can do to feel like you're back into control, the more kind of, peaceful your mind is I guess so I think that was that was a really long way to answer your question but I think there was just like a really long path to figuring out why we're doing this yeah I think when you get to that plateau I think like a lot of software companies you know small software companies hit that and yeah what you do there I mean we've definitely had that and it's like at first it's like terrifying and then you're like wait but this is more money than I ever thought we'd make so why am I like really terrified and uh yeah, and then just being okay with like, okay, like this can be, you know, you can have a couple years of a uh, plateau or more. Like, I mean, HelpSpot's out, like it grows every year, but it's not like super rocket growth at this point. So, and that's fine. And we've even like dialed back from trying to grow it for a few years there. I think in the next year or two, we might do a little bit more on that front again. Kind of like, you know, it's like you can have those like fits and starts with it and doesn't have to be like, what is pounded into your head everywhere, which is that like mm-hmm. you must be growing constantly every month. Uh, your MRR is increased this month. You know, like it's right. got to go, grow, 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 grow. Um, and so, yeah, just like being okay with that, realizing that like if you're big enough to where you have a team, especially, then you've really gotten, you know, so far with it that you have so many of the benefits of that. Um, we've gotten big enough to where you can take a vacation and all those things right. that when you're really small, okay, like it's a huge burden and you're on your own and it's terrible kind of. Uh, but once you've gotten to that, a, a big enough size where you can have some help and, you know, assuming things are relatively stable at least, then uh, yeah, like being okay with that and then giving yourself uh, time to even do other stuff. Like we've had, Userscape different side projects and things that we've done in that time um, just to even just take a break from the main product or like you guys launched, you know, have launched other big products and one of which has become your biggest product in that kind of space there. So uh, it gives you a chance to like reflect and make different decisions and all those sort of things. Yeah, I found it really useful to hang out and read 
about non-software businesses because mm. I think we're we're um, like when we especially like plateaus, right? So if you look at like real businesses that have been around for a long time, they have ups, they have downs, they have plateaus. Right. Like that's real business, right? So that's yeah. like that's you know that's how shit works, right? You hit, you hit walls, you figure out how to adjust, you pivot, you do what happens in like a lot of these funded companies is you don't hit a wall. You, you don't plateau because you fly up into the air and then you just fall out of the sky. Right. right. Like that's, that's your option. Like you, there's no option to like, Oh shit, we hit a wall. How do we sustainably adjust? Cause there's no sustainability. So you're just like shooting for the moon and then you fall out of the sky. And so like, you don't yeah. really hear a lot about these plateaus. So when we kind of hit this, like, oh shit, we're not growing as fast as we were. And oh my God, and what are we going to do? And we don't know how we got here in the first place because we never had marketing or any kind of go to market strategies. And we're like, uh, we're not going to out feature ourselves out of here. Right. So, and, and you're like, everybody else is growing. Oh my God, we're dead. And it's like, no, actually businesses do this and that's okay. And they create new products. They divert, they, you know, they slow down, they cut, you know, they do what they need to do to sustain. And I, I found it, really useful to not hang out with software people. Yeah. <laughs> like totally honest. I mean, I just, I joined an entrepreneur's organization, like EO group and a forum and all my forum mates are not software people. And it's just really refreshing to hear about other business experiences because yeah, that's a great idea. Sustainability is real. Right. And we can, aside from our capital efficiency and like, especially like software as a service businesses, the rest of it, we are pretty much regular businesses. Supply. Is that demand, that? Is that an in-person uh, group you're in or uh, yeah. virtual? Yeah. No, it's in person. Nice. It's kind of neat. Um, EO is like, I don't know if you heard of YPO, EO, and, you know, they have like all these different groups. And mm. I looked at a bunch and I looked at some that were really industry specific. Like I would have had to travel to New York and it sounded really cool. Um, and I chose the non-industry specific because I think, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, the success of every business is you know, especially our size is like all about our mental health, right? Like our ability to run a business, right? right? It's not like some magical formula and crazy sales processes and stuff like that. So EO is very focused on the entrepreneur and everybody in the group and the forum you meet every month and everybody in the forum is from a different industry. So you can get a really good perspective on like challenges and how people solve problems and use their experiences to get better. So I don't know. So far, I, I've, it's my first year and I'm pretty excited about it, but it definitely helps to hear how other people do things. Yeah, I like that idea a lot because, uh, yeah, I feel like the internet stuff, that's like when even like we went, uh, micro, like I went to microconf this year and like, I, I went to like one session. <laughs> it's like, you know, all the internet information, you know, like I've heard it all a million times. I know it all. I know I can, where to get it if I want it. Like there's not anything new in a lot of this stuff. Like there might be specific tactics that are new or whatever, but the, the kind of higher level stuff's all like pretty, you know, either well-known or I know where to get it if I want it. Um, so the idea of like, yeah, having that different, a totally different perspective on it from, you know, somebody who owns uh, three car dealerships or whatever, you know, like different things is, is interesting. But they have the same people problems, right? Like right. Of course. Same, like market problems and positioning and branding and all it's all, all of it's relatable. And I don't right. know, Chris and I stopped going to conferences years ago. Like we limit yeah. really just one or two or three, one, because you get, you know, like that conference high, like you get back and then yeah. you lose weeks of time. You're like, Oh my God, right. everything's so amazing. And then you're like, Oh my God, I did nothing. Right. And it's like, <laughs> that's not really useful. But I also, to your point, like if I'm not focusing on sales, for example, like it makes no sense for me to sit in three sales, like, you know, uh, yeah. talks because I'm not going to make a change. So I don't know. We really just go to business with software and we go to peers because the people at peers are just amazing. Yeah, I just go to – I only go now if it's, A, a vacation and I can stop in at the conference a little bit and or, B, yeah, for like like at microconf, I just know everyone. So I just go and like I have dinner with everyone and people I've known for 20 years or whatever and that's pretty much the reason I go. But yeah, in terms of regular – like I would never go to, oh, this conference looks interesting at this point or whatever. I just don't think I would do that. Oh, yeah, like peers I go to when I can this year. It didn't work out, but generally peers um, and uh, – Okay, we had Jamie. We didn't need you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I I told him last episode, Jamie Lensman is now the preferred Lensman. That's it. That's it. We're we're sending her out. Yeah, she's pretty great. Sending her out from now on. So, okay, we're gonna take a short break here to talk about our sponsor for the spring season of Bootstrapped. I'm super happy uh, to announce that it's again Linode, um, who's been a huge supporter of the podcast. So thanks so much, Linode. 
I have 14 servers on Linode. Andre has a bunch of servers there. Uh, anytime we need a server for a new project, a website, everything just gets its own server now on Linode. Um, and, and that's what we do. Plans start at just five bucks a month for a gig of RAM, which for almost everything we do is enough right there. And obviously go up to much larger sizes if you need it. Uh, they now have high memory plans starting at 16 gigs of RAM. 10 data centers all over the world, um, seven-day money-back guarantee, which is amazing. I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen that elsewhere. Um, you know, boots up in under a minute. Uh, they have hourly billing on all their plans and services, 24-7, 365 support, phone supports available. Um, you know, obviously, all the sort of modern VM uh, control and things you'd want to do, Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, they have everything now. Uh, it's all native SSD storage, super fast 40 gig uh, network, all modern Intel processors, just really can't be beat. Um, and now they even have block storage uh, currently in Fremont and I think in Newark. Um, and they're going to be expanding that out uh, to all their data centers by the end of uh, spring. So one-stop shopping, everything you need at Linode for tiny side project all the way up to your full production needs. Um, just, just an amazing service. I've been with them personally for, I don't even know, six, seven years. Um, so really highly recommend it. Uh, they did want me to mention that they also just came out with a new control panel. It's all, you know, cutting edge, uh, Ajaxy, React, all that good stuff, um, modernized design and everything. So you should definitely check that out at cloud.linode.com if you're already a customer. And uh, Linode's come up with a great discount for all our Bootstrapped FM listeners, $20 credit, um, which is four free months, a third of a year at the $5 tier. So to get that credit, it's super easy. Just go to linode.com slash bootstrapped FM, all one word. Again, that's linode.com slash bootstrapped FM, all one word. And that will take you right to uh, the page on Linode where you can sign up and get that $20 credit. Um, so you have nothing to lose. You get $20 credit. You get money back guarantee. Um, you know, throw a side project up on there. Move a, a production server over to there. Try it out. Um, like I said, I have a ton of servers on Linode. Highly recommend them. They're giving you $20 to try it out for a third of a year. Give it a shot and uh, let me know what you think. I'd love to hear your feedback on on our sponsors, um, but we really love them here at Bootstrapped. And uh, thanks again to Linode. See, I think I think that's the real reason you didn't show up. It wasn't Vegas and it wasn't the babysitting situations because if, if both of you were there, you just sucked the air out of the room. So it was just it like, air, all the attention would just be on you. <laughs> um, that's it. I was concerned about people's safety. It'll be like like some kind of black hole of charisma. It was just, just everything would be on you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So here's a wild bit thing that I love. I got okay. a wild bit specific thing I want to personally thank you for. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, so it's not any of your products, which are all wonderful and great and all that stuff. Okay. But you guys were the first to have a reasonable, well-written article about what the heck GDPR is you know and what? how it applies to small business. Like I, that, you're like with the template. I was like, this is the template. I understand kind of why I should even care about this. And then I went off of that for everything else. Cause like everything else is terrible. I mean, uh, maybe very recently there's been a few others that are like, okay, like it's a somewhat reasonable thing for a small software company. But at the point you guys produced that in April, like there was nothing else at all. And I was like, Oh, thank God. There's somebody, something I can lean on a little bit here. I mean, all shout out goes to Rian, who's a postmark product manager. And so he kind of thankfully took the reins of this really early on for me from the lawyers because maybe we spent tens of thousands of dollars on this stuff at this point. Right. Um, and part of it is, you know, like the whole GDPR processor and controller. And we process our, we're a processor and a controller. So yeah. the processor piece, our customers were emailing us a year ago saying, like, what are we doing? See, that's interesting because I didn't get any customers emailing me until like, I don't even know. It was like March or something. And then I'm like, what the hell? What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> yeah, no, we, we started a year ago. And we have no. tons of European customers and nobody contacted us about it. So like we Weird. didn't know what's going on. I know, it's crazy. And then like they all came out of the woodwork. 
and like yeah, my, yeah. and I was like, what the heck is this thing? I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, we started like almost a year ago. So we found a lawyer and we did the whole thing. And Rian's brilliant and he really just took took it upon himself. And but I, I, I mean, I have serious issues with it because I think I really struggle. So many people have emailed us, emailed me personally, especially after that article, like, who did you use? Can we afford them? And no, you can't afford them. And that's, right. and like, she's a great <laughs> lawyer, uh, but like small businesses, like, I don't know how they're supposed to I know. sustain this. Cause that DPA took us. DPA is brutal. Thousands of dollars to draft. Like, I mean, and it's also ridiculous because even the lawyer, even we have good lawyers, New York city lawyers, they're expensive and they're still like, yeah, this is kind of, here it is. We don't really know. It's, well, you know, so, it's gotta be like when the courts figure it all out. So you're like, you spent thousands of dollars on this thing yeah. and it's still not like, oh, this is the thing and we're good. This is like, this is the first pass at the thing. And in a year you're gonna have to redo it when the courts rule on different things. They got to redo well, it here. Because they all that. sued, right? Like on Friday, they, the right, lawsuits yeah. were like written. They just made right. it filed. <laughs> and so, and everybody kind of knew that. And I think yeah. ultimately from our perspective, it was to make sure our customers felt good. Cause at the end of the day, like they don't give a shit if we have their email address. Like they don't care, right? Like that's not the that wasn't the big anxiety. The anxiety was that we send their customers emails, right? Like their customers' customers yeah. emails. So yeah. that's where they were like, we got to be compliant. And you know, we have big European companies, and they were like, no. And that wasn't just the European. If we have big American companies that have European customer data, right? So it's like <laughs> it was a huge cluster. But hey, Andre, I saw like you you did like a little app, right, for iOS and Android, right? Uh, I'm building something. I'm building an SDK for GDPR consent. Yeah, for yeah. mobile stuff. Yeah. And somebody commented and said you were late. Yeah, they <laughs> did. Like a week <laughs> before I'd Friday. Like to tell the person that they're confused because it's not like new apps are going to launch after Friday. I, I couldn't I even. I couldn't even respond. Along. I'm like, I can't even enumerate on how many levels you're incorrect here. I can't. <laughs> but that, but you, but that's been the biggest interesting thing is like people are like. We wrote about it in April, but like the stuff is still relevant because like a new app's going to launch tomorrow that's going to have to be GDPR compliant. You're going to launch a new feature that's going to have to be GDPR. I mean, like this is yeah. now built in. We have to train our employees on GDPR compliance, right? Like right. our engineers like, we build features. It's like, hey, what data? You know, I think that the essence of it the is, is pretty spot on and, and data, uh, you know, visibility and what people are, you know, all of that stuff is, I just think the execution has been less than, ideal and i don't know what it's doing to small businesses because and i've talked to people who are basically like we're gonna buy a form online one of those like elaw.coms and pay like 200 bucks for it and i was like oh my god but like what are they gonna do and just hope yeah, that's all do. you can do right <laughs> which is still kind of really the case anyway because it's like yeah. you're such a you know like we're pretty small so it's like uh, yeah. the whole thing the whole thing is obviously not constructed for small business at all because it's just like the the requirements in certain areas are insane so it's like they didn't give any thought to small companies and i think it would have been better to have i mean i'd be totally fine if you want to put a scarlet letter on us and be like listen you're a company over 50 here's a bunch of rules you're a company under 50 right. you don't have the rules but you know what you're not going to get the say you're going to not get you know the the bigger companies get to say they're gdpr a plus plus certified whatever yeah. whatever and if you're below you're not and then let the customers decide if you know they're the kind of customer that can deal with you know they, they must have the super ultra certified or not because that, that's fine like that's the same thing i have right now like if you want ultra super we have 30 security officers, blah, 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 then you're going to go use Zendesk, right? Because right. that's like a public company and that's, yeah. they're going to have all that stuff, right? And little userscape is not going to have that stuff. So I'm fine competing in that space in that way. But to have all these laws that are just like blanket written, assuming you have infinite resources is like just, it's just ridiculous. So I mean, uh, it's definitely super political, right? And I think that's the, that I keep laughing with the team. Like we've been doing this, you know, we've been in business 17 years and Knockwood, we have never had an economic impact based on something in politics or even, you know, like, you know, 2008. Or down yeah. Or, or, yeah. You know, like no, nothing, ch nothing changed in the political climate or the, you know, uh, financial climate has had like a big impact on us. Um, this is the first time in 17 years where politics and policy have had a really significant impact on our business. Like just the cost, the time sink, the features we haven't been able to build because we've been sucked into all of this. It's, yeah. it's fascinating to me. It, it really, is kind of fascinating. And as a small business, it's, I don't know. I mean, we're lucky enough to, can, we can drop 40 grand on GDPR and not that it doesn't hurt. Don't get me wrong, but like I have it. I have folks emailing us and they're like, they can't, they can't 10,000 would be like excruciating. Right. Yeah, and, right. And I don't know. 
and the time and like, yeah, digging into the law to figure out like, yeah, the thing you're building exactly, you know, what it is. And obviously it's all just the weird stuff about it, the law, not really understanding how the internet works, which is sort of a problem. So there's like a lot of weird barriers on the internet and, you know, yeah. I, yeah. So yeah. you're like, okay. I mean, I, I think they could have got to the same place with a much simpler, like more consequence based regime and less getting down into sort of the specifics of what you're doing, which come up in a lot of weird ways in not that edgy edge cases. But yeah, I mean, Andre um, was getting comments on like Google fonts. I didn't even think of stuff like that. I mean, I'm sure true. my team has, but yeah. like, CDN exactly. and you're like, oh. like, is everybody supposed to build their own CDN? Like that is the, that's the thing we're all supposed to do. Like they're just all, it's just crazy. Um, or everybody, uh, just the whole thing. It's, it's complicated. kind of ridiculous. Even it's the, very the, complicated. The, the erasure sure stuff is really interesting too, because yeah, you know, apps are built, apps are complicated and they're built on top of each other. Right. And so like, um, you know, for us to, like, we had to build entire tooling into the app to be able to, Del- make sure we delete. Yeah, because it's like otherwise we have to log in a bunch of different places, and it's yeah. you know, and it's like all this, and then we have to have DPAs with our vendors, and right. like, oh my god, you know, whatever. Anyway, I, mean, I don't, I don't want to talk about GDPR the whole time. Okay, it's depress. I could, I could. I know you could. <laughs> and it's like, I'll complain about it whenever given the opportunity. Oh, I know. All so, right, what else is going on? Uh, I don't know. Tov? So listen, question? listen. I was doing. This is GDPR related. I'm sorry. Uh, I just had to. <laughs> look look i i looked further into this insanity than anyone that i know so i was doing this research on this stuff and i and i because my stuff is ios and, and android stuff I, I talked to a lot of companies that build games essentially you know for kids because they're running ads and if you run ads you need to feed permissions yeah. and their consent and shit like that so the problem is that all this gdpr stuff assumes you're above the age of consent which is like 13 or 16 depending on which european country you're in um and completely moot if you're under the age of consent like you're not even like if you look at google's sdk for consent they're not even going to pop it up if you just put in the flag to say we might think that this is being used by a 12 year old like they're not even going to send any data over at all they're not going to keep track of it because it's no longer valid to ask permission at all um so you have all these companies that are like under this uh under this requirement to to buy this thing called copa which is like preceding gdpr it has everything to do with like parental consent for kids and you know people mm-hmm. under the age of consent and and copa has been enforced since like 2011 or something it's been around forever but like nobody knows about it um because they're not really enforcing it that much but they do once in a while and and people get bit and they get hit by like hundreds of thousands of dollars for, for penalties because it's it's like even less uh you can't comply with it at all because to comply with copa you need verifiable parental parental permission so you can't send an email to the parent to say your kid is using this please verify that you are who you are because you need a driver's license you need facial scans you need to you go through this list of what copa is providing as acceptable proof of parental consent and all of it requires some sort of non-technological you have to fax a certified letter from a bank with your address <laughs> you, like none of these things and there's like two companies that are in place that are like struggling to provide solutions for companies to comply with this copa requirement and and they're all dancing around how do we do this because like half the company is lobbying the government literally to to provide easier technological solutions for how do we verify uh, that this person is a parent of this child. And the other half of the company is, is dancing around the technological solutions that exist so far. And the only thing they can come up with is like, we'll build you an account and you have your parent sign up to an account with us and send us a driver's license. It'll be totally secure. We'll keep that on file. So that when the kid gives you this token, you could sign in and, and verify that the token matches your kid and then you are his parent. And then you could, the kid could use this bullshit free app that he downloaded to play for three <laughs> seconds. Uh, so all of these, all of these things are, and like the only, they have to jump through these hurdles to get the government to understand that with the solutions that they're providing for verifiability are competent solutions. And the only things they've been allowed to pass through so far is like, fingerprint scanning and like this super duper fbi facial recognition thing that they do with like terrorist scans and airports and shit like that no company on the planet will be able to leverage any of these approved methods to verify that this kid who's playing a free game is allowed to play a free game with ads and that you were in fact able to verify 
that this and no parent in the world is going to sign off on this even if it's just an email to say oh your kid is using this thing can you send us your email address regular address for, you know, proof of citizenship and you know driver's license and we'll verify that you are his parents so he play this like it's completely not viable to comply with this law and if you don't you get screwed if they decide to go after you which you know i, I went through a bunch of companies who did and like nobody's gonna put up a blog post to say we were bitten by copa because like you know shit we, we got bitten by copa we got singled out essentially but it's there it's been around it's even dumber than gdpr but you know that's what you get when politicians are writing laws about shit they know nothing about well isn't so this not kind of related but like you you see the estonia um e-citizenship stuff that they've been working on i haven't no. so they've been so estonia has been trying to use blockchain well they started with e-citizenship but they're you know they're a small company a country and they're you know they do all their voting online and do all this crazy stuff and they're like super technologically advanced from a government standpoint and they've been talking about you know they have this e-citizenship thing where you can be a citizen of estonia from anywhere in the world and you can sign up and then this way you can do business in estonia and you know they think it's going to be really good for the economy and they're talking a lot about blockchain and their idea is that they can use blockchain not not cryptocurrency blockchain right to be able to create uh, basically an SSN for the internet, right? A social security number for the internet or like some kind of identifiable single source for the internet where we know that you are you, you know that I am me and that we can have, you know, we can have commerce across the internet, across the world uh, in a safe and secure, in a safe and secure way. And it's, that's the kind of stuff where if you talk about proving that I am my daughter's mom, right? The easiest way would be like if we had a single, if we weren't in an anonymous internet, right? And we had a way to say, I am me, here's my, whatever my finger my online fingerprint this is who i am right. and this is my family i mean it's a little big brother but there is something really interesting about like we want things to be easier on the internet but we have built an internet where we don't know who any of us are right and we have no trust in each other no trust in the businesses that do business on the internet and it's kind of like this fucked up dichotomy of like you know this is getting really deep but it's really interesting but you should look at the estonia the estonia blockchain stuff is super their e-citizen stuff, stuff is really interesting because they're this tiny little country and they're trying to figure out ways to be really innovative and use the internet as a way to run the government right so like do loans online and 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 do business online and contracts and things like that and it's super fascinating they're, that's they're like- really cool one of the interesting things about <clears throat> things like that, though, right? Like, I wonder how that's even going to be impacted by GDPR because, I mean, one of the main features of blockchain technology is that you can't delete anything. Like, once it's in the blockchain, it's in there forever. And but it's so, anonymized, right? I guess to some degree. Well, I, I mean, it doesn't matter. It depends what's okay. in it. Like, people have, like, you, if you put your email, you can actually put anything, even right. in like the Bitcoin blockchain. Like, you could put stuff in data into it, and you don't necessarily, that's not its intended purpose. But even right now, like, I just read this interesting article about how, like, people have, like, uh, like porn pictures in there, right? And that porn picture's in there forever. And so, like, even things like that are break. Like, people, the article was speculating that, like, somebody could put a bunch of child porn in there and make the whole thing basically illegal um, because here's this these photos in here that are there forever and undeletable. And so there's, like, all this – the technology is so – opposite the concept of the deleting of the data you know what i mean like like literally here's data it can't be deleted it's impossible the whole right. thing doesn't work if you delete the data and so like the the whole point of it is to to be able to replay and to be able to see the data that was put in and verify it's accurate and everything so like, it can't be deleted and yet uh there's all this stuff about deletion and so so it's all very interesting and even delet- deletion is one of my biggest pet peeves because what does that even mean like i deleted off the off my database but the data is actually on a disk somewhere and i didn't zero out the data like so it's actually still there really like if i got a hold of the hard disk drive i got i could get all your related data that i thought i deleted so it's like there's all kinds of weird aspects to it but um you got to be like nevin he was talking to him he said because he he runs the the the, the, the hosting, yeah, orchestra. Uh, we were talking about how you know we have these boxes of hard drives that we never throw away, like you do. Like we have shit yeah. prop, propping up furniture with hard drives, sure. and like he takes them to like a smelter. He takes them to like a place like they liquid, you know, literally run like liquid metal, that's hot, what, molten metal. Over. Yeah, yeah, that's what you got to do. If you, that's how you delete data. That's why the whole thing's silly. You know, it's like oh, we deleted this file pointer, so it's deleted. It's still there. The whole thing is still there. The PDF you uploaded with all the bad stuff in it, still there forever. Until it accidentally gets overwritten. <sighs> so, 
it's like so frustrating. It's like that's why it I'm, is, pretty, I mean, I'm pretty it liberal, is. but it's like there is a personal responsibility aspect to all this that bothers me. And it's like I have to get this like checkbox for this form for a form you're filling out on my website. <laughs> you know what you're putting into the form. I'm not making you put it in. You're here putting it in. And well, and I think it, have, but that's think. the big difference, right? Like you and I for them are not hiding anything. I have always shown in my privacy policy what third party apps we use, what we cookie. Like it's always been there, right? Like right. I'm not storing, I'm not you know, I'm not storing it. it it's it's the big companies that are that do these like not great things. <laughs> and to your point, like, you know, there's a ton of laws in the United States and I'm sure in Europe where it's like this applies to companies of 50 employees or more or, you know, or whatever. But like this law got applied to everyone. I don't create like fingerprints on my users that they sleep from two to four. And therefore I'm going <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Like, that's just not part of my business. It's not what I do. But I go to Facebook and I assume that they're going to create all kinds of shit because it's free mm-hmm. and they got to make money. And, you know, and so I deleted my Facebook account. I mean. I hear you, but you know, the argument on that side is like people don't know and people aren't smart enough. And when the internet becomes big enough where everybody's using it, then the government starts stepping in. Yeah, but I hate that argument because the same people who didn't read your privacy policy before are still not reading it. And the big one, like yeah, Facebook, like I can't even imagine what Facebook's privacy policy is, right? Like mine is 2,000 words and I'm a little tiny company doing a little tiny thing. Theirs has got to be, you know, who knows, 100,000 words, right? <laughs> like nobody's reading it. It's well, never, I mean, nobody's ever gonna read they're it. all getting sued. I mean, the truth is, like, the law was written in such a way where you can't say either oblige or don't use the service, and that's what everybody's doing. It's basically like we can't run the service without knowing all this information about you. So if you don't want us to save it, you can't right. use it. And right. now they're all getting sued, right? The, law, the lawsuits were filed on Friday, yeah. and they literally had them written up. And they were well, like ready to go, and so that's going to determine a lot of what we have to do. I think all of us should be comfortable being as compliant as we possibly can. Sure, that's uh, and then just being hold the spirit. On. Yeah, and then just hold on to it and yeah. kind of ride this way for the next couple of years. I mean, I don't know how long. We did Safe Harbor. We did, I mean, we've been doing EU privacy stuff, self-certification and all that stuff for right. you know, years now. It's mm-hmm. like every every two years I'm hiring a lawyer to do EU privacy stuff, so whatever. How was... Uh... We just saw it today. You guys released the iOS app. How is that? Mm, that is super exciting. So Matt, who's on our team, uh, is brilliant. And uh, that was his Hack Weeks project. Wow. For Postmark, and right? For Postmark, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's an iOS app for Postmark. Just basically giving our customers visibility into their activity so they can troubleshoot. So any emails in queue, any errors, bounces, you know, see your stats and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's beautiful. <laughs> and um, I mean... This team is just, I was telling Chris this morning, um, my husband Chris this morning on our way to work, I was like, it's one of those uh, proud moments, you know, where you're like, God, everything that comes out of this team is just so good. And it's beautiful. It's uh, it's super useful. We've been beta testing it for a while internally, just trying to figure out like what data we need, built a bit, a little bit of like OAuth in there. And, you know, and so there's just, it's, it's great. And it's, uh, it's for existing customers. So it just gives them a way to troubleshoot on the go. Mm-hmm. Um and see their stuff. So we're pretty excited about it. Do you guys have other, is that your first like mobile app? Yeah. I mean, we've never done it. Oh, we're, we've been building a desktop app. I mean, for two and a half years, <laughs> but, uh, um, but that's our first, that's the only iOS app that we have. We never really built anything for Beanstalk. There's a bunch of third party ones that people built and charged for actually. Right. Um, but we've been building conveyor. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's is this good. a new thing? I, I've that's, heard some I, whispers I, about this, but. Three-year-old minimally viable product. Um, right. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be three years. All right, right. It's, it's three years since we kind of decided to build it. Um, yeah, and that's like a desktop app. So that's, you know, the next iteration of Beanstalk for us and um, Conveyor.com, which is super cool. I feel really grown up that we own that, by the way. And, uh, <laughs> that is. That must have cost you a few bucks there. The, this, is what, this is where Ian jumps in with Conveyor, that app. Because they were all bought before I could even blink. Uh, I didn't I don't think I own conveyor.app. So but. whoever's whoever's gonna come I'm waiting for the email from the squatter who's like, here's your app or uh, you should get you should have been on that. Should have been on it. I should that's right. You have the dot com. The dot com's always gonna be better. The dot com's always gonna be better. Not the yeah, trademarks and now. I have a trademark. Well, yeah. I got my Twitter. I got the Twitter username. Yeah, you could do Twitter, but with a domain, that's a lot harder. I mean, there's a lot of uses for conveyor. That's fine. I'm saying, come at me. Anyway, <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, but so yes, yeah, so single, single, single word 
domain I'm pretty excited about. But uh, we've been working on it for three years because we started writing it in in native in Swift, um, and we did that for about two years, and then we scrapped the whole project and started over in December in uh, Electron. Wow, that's a big so, change. Yeah, that's no joke. And uh, but it's good. I mean, the team is really excited. I think we learned a ton about what we are capable of internally and what we know how to do and what we don't know how to do. Um, and uh, the project is really cool. We're gonna start accepting private. We're gonna start inviting private private beta testers next in two weeks, two or three weeks. So uh, they rewrote the whole thing in six months, which is really impressive. Nice. Well, it's always a lot easier when you know where you're going. You know, like at that point, they knew okay. everything they want to do, and then it's like, okay, just like recode it becomes a much simpler process than building a web app, basically, right? So like, and that's what we do. Yeah, right? that's true. So that's true. So for us, it's like, and the design, the big challenge for us was the design process because our, you know, Eugene, our, who's been with us 13 years, and like, you know, he's an extremely talented designer, front end developer. Like he can code. And like being stuck building an app where he's basically sending PSDs over and like mm-hmm. being like sketch files and being like, hey, can you implement this? And then it's like, oh, can you fix this tiny thing? And this isn't exactly right was like really discouraging for him. It's just not our process. And so now that they're all in there, they're all coding. They're all like, you know, just it's it's pretty magical to watch. They're super pumped. But that, you know, I think it's just we learned a lot. You know, I think uh, <laughs> who doesn't want to build a product for three years? Well, that's good. I'm glad you have the same outlook on minimal viable product as I do. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to build this little thing. Yes. Oh, it's going to take us a year. And Like, I mean, especially for us, it's we really want to solve a hard problem. And like, right. and it's for Beanstalk customers. Like, I'm not going to build like one tenth of Beanstalk and say, hey, guys, switch. I mean, and I'll be eating my words in six months. I don't know. But it feels right. Like, it feels like this is the right way to go. We're it's definitely still super minimal, but we, we basically built a desktop client and the web app, and they're both together. So we're still hosting your code, but we're, we're one of our biggest challenges in Beanstalk was always like, especially with Git, like people want help. You know, people don't get paid to like mess around and Git. I would use yeah. a different word where, you know, there's children on this call. <laughs> um, and so, you know, like they don't get paid for that. Right. So a lot of times, like what we learned in Beanstalk was always like people wanted to just do their work, like especially agencies who are, you know, we are a lot of, most of our businesses agencies. And so, you know, like they want to just like, they need repeatable processes. They need to know that their shit is good and they need to be able to like ship to their customers without having to have like a three day, Oh my God, somebody merged this wrong or now there's a config file in every remote. And now I have to figure out how to get this back. Right. But we could never help them with Beanstalk because by the time you push to me, it's too late. Like I got nothing. (laughs) I can't help your merge conflict because it's too freaking late. So we just knew that we wanted something. We wanted to be there sooner. So we built a client because like now if you push something, you need to pull something back. I have every remote. Like Mm -hmm. we can, we can you know, and like we can help with merge conflicts because we're going to pull in all the shit. We'll tell you that you're behind, you know, like because we know it's not too late. And I think the not too late is really super critical and we're hopeful. I mean, I think it's pretty great. Hmm. Are you uh, replacing Beanstalk? Like, will this be the literal replacement? Like you eventually have to upgrade to this or there you're going to keep running Beanstalk and this is separate it's- and like you'll have a way to move over. But it's not like you don't have to move over. We're not going to force anybody to move over. We aren't. We are fully supporting Beanstalk. Um, you know, we have an entire support team. It's always up. Like, mono, I mean, like all that stuff is like totally rock solid. And you know, right. um, but no, we're not going to build new features for Beanstalk. And we've told okay. our customers already. So it's like the base campy kind of. Yeah, I mean, the biggest challenge is right now it is Electron, which is good because it'll set us up right to be able to mm-hmm. do with those. But it's right now it's just on Mac. So you know. Right. The Git part doesn't really matter because we'll just be able to like, we've kind of abstracted Git so you don't have to like sit there and like read, you know, Stack Exchange to figure out how to use right. Git. You know, it's we we've abstracted it enough where you could you could be used to SVN and still use it. You know, like it's fine. Um, but we do have like customers who don't have Macs. So we or we have customers who aren't full Mac teams. We have terrible, have terrible. Just get rid of them. <laughs> No, don't do that. Don't do that. Anybody. But that'll be good. So the electron in theory will make that easier. Theoretically. Yeah. So like, as long as the interest is there, you know, I keep telling the team, like what we want is people banging down our door saying, build this for windows. Cause that right. would be a viable product until then. I'm not going to build three versions of it. Um, hoping for the best, but this does put us in a much better place than before we were like, Oh, we'll hire an entire team who knows how to build for windows. It's like, get out of here. Like that just seems like a terrible idea. So 
um, we'll do what we know, you know, and I think this feels much more, much more right to us. It's not, so it's not really a minimum viable product, but it kind of is a minimum viable business model test. Like if you can get enough Mac people to use your full blown product, then, then it's worth, you know, either hiring windows people or figuring it out or whatever you got to yeah. do to do the rest of it. So you're going to sell into this corner of the market, which you guys probably have a disproportionate number of Mac people, I would guess compared to totally. the overall market, yeah. but, um, it kind of gives you that way to to get started without the full-on commitment of, yeah, building a Windows team and all that stuff, which sounds well, kind of terrible. Well, I think it's it's the product, it's a conveyor's a workflow. And the idea is not just Git hosting, but the idea is to be able to work through and all the way through to deployments. Yeah. And so part of, the, part of that, the important part for us is to start small because we want to be able to do the, the, um, the uh, deployment piece, right, the CI testing deployment piece really well for smaller groups. So like the ideal scenario is that we have modules for all different types of environments so that we can create staging environments for every branch and do all this really awesome stuff, really abstracting some of the, the bullshit work so that you can do the really fun work of like building great software. Um, and so we kind of have to start small, you know, like I can't be like, right. Oh, we're all things for all people. It's like, we did that <laughs> with, with deploy bot. We built build tools with deploy bot and, they're so powerful and so awesome. And people were like, what I, what am I doing? Right. You know, that's not really great either. So I think like we got to find a really good middle ground of going slow. And, you know, we really love craft. We use it ourselves. So like we want to build some awesome stuff for craft deployments and, um, mm. and, you know, kind of just keep expanding out that way. Yeah, I like that idea. Task-based kit is a really, that's a very interesting take on it for sure. Since everybody's, not everybody, but most people are using it, yeah, with specific tasks in mind, you're doing certain things. And obviously everybody hates like going and digging around, get, figuring out how the hell to undo something or all that kind of stuff. It's all a nightmare scenario. So it's beautiful. Uh, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's human. It's human. So I think that's the part that's like super exciting. And I mean, risky too, right? Because you don't want to track too much and people are confused. But the idea is like you hit start and say like, I'm working on a bug. Right. Yeah. We create the branch. We do all the stuff in the background. You don't have to think about it. Like this is a bug. It's we nice. log it as a bug. You have a description, task descriptions, which is so awesome because, yeah. like, I don't know. You work on stuff and then like somebody leaves or or whatever. Three months later, you're like, when was this introduced? You know, this right. stuff, this Why did they do this? And it's yeah. like because commit. Oh shit. You know, like that's the commit right. message. It's like, well, that's not really useful. <laughs> you can go back and say, oh, it was this bug. Here's the description. Here's, you know, Git doesn't give us that. We give it. So that's like our, you know, we're storing that for you, but we're giving you a real picture of what you're doing versus kind of cobbling it all together, right? Like you got to go to Jira, see what ties back to which commit. You built all these integrations and there's just a lot of historical things that make things hard, but the task base becomes human, right? Like start a bug, start a feature. Here's what, it, you know, here's the backlog. Let me pull it down and we can do all that stuff for you. So hopefully... Hopefully we we solve a problem that people get really excited about. And it seems like the kind of thing most you know most software I really love. I think a business type software has that two levels where it's like really human on the surface and not too complicated, but then also has that next level where once you become that advanced user or you have the weird scenario. Uh, like you can go down to that underneath level, which is like, yeah, I could do something in Git if I really had to, or I don't know what's going to be for this, but like you, you can get, there's, you know, 14 settings where you can actually tweak it totally when you need to tweak it totally, but you don't, it doesn't present that to you necessarily, you know, as soon as you sign up for the app or whatever, it's like, you can just start using it and it all works and it's wonderful. And then when you hit the weird edge case, it's like, oh, wow, it actually has a setting to fix my weird edge case or whatever the case may be. So. Yeah, I mean that's kind of and that's what we got to start small because we don't know what those edge cases are yet. Right. We're we're locking it down pretty significantly because a lot again all that stuff like we're we're building. Yeah, so, you don't want to overbuild it to start. Yeah, and and so I don't know. I mean, I, we've been building for developers for so long. It's not that that is to me. It's like such a hard audience because just like you said, you want things to just work, and then but at the same time you want the flexibility of being able to get really deep in that, and that's a really hard balance. Right. You're either in Jira and you have 17,000 settings and you need a right. Jira master who manages your Jira or you have something that, you know, only, you know, a small piece of the market wants to use. I'm always vying to the, or moving towards a small piece of the market because I think that software we really enjoy building. And, you know, if we can solve a problem for a good, solid group that's profitable, then that's exciting to me. 
Selling to developers. That's just like, it's like the best and the worst at the same time. <laughs> it's like, they're cheap and like, they don't want to buy stuff and they're kind of cranky. But then the flip side, like they actually have platforms and tell everybody and like can be really great customers. So it's like such a. They're know, the I, best customers. Yeah. I mean, I mean that like. Once we, you get them in. Yeah. I mean, they, they are so understanding and so caring. And so, I mean, we, I'd like to think that this is across the board, but like our customers have always, I, I always tell the story when Beanstalk was young, we, um, I mean, this is also early adopters, and I think I think it's still valid. But the best story is like we used to have campfire. Remember campfire chat, base mm-hmm. camps, campfire chat, mm-hmm. and that was like our customer support. And for like a couple weeks, every day at four o'clock, Beanstalk would go down for an hour every day. <laughs> it was like something with the way people at the end of the day would start committing all their changes, all right. it would overload the server, it would go down, and we'd like I think we were back at with um, Engine Yard. Do you remember the? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's Engine Yard. Back anyway, so. Every day at four o'clock, Chris and I would jump into campfire chat and just start talking to our customers. I'm like, oh, we're down again, working on it. How you guys doing? What are you working on? And we would literally sit there and chat with customers and just talk. And they'd be so understanding because they built software. They know this shit happens. They know we care. As long as you're honest and transparent. I mean, we tell our customers. Oh, it's the nice thing. We can tell our customers what broke, why it broke, what we're going to do to fix it. You know, um, yeah. and I think they're amazing. You just, you kind of have to prove to them that you're either giving them something that's magic or giving them superpowers, right? Those right. are the two ways developers buy. So it's either magic or superpowers. Otherwise they can all build it themselves for $2. Right. Or they think, they think they can anyway. That's well, the problem. <laughs> Whether or not they do actually do it is another of course. issue. Right. Um, know your market, right? Yeah, exactly. Cool. All right. We got anything else? We're coming up on the hour here. I don't want to keep you guys too long. Are you kidnapping? Got, what? Uh, my kid is in school and the other one just woke up. Oh, from like from a nap. From a nap, yeah. Oh, I was like, yeah, he's still in that phase. Your youngest is what, like five or six, something like that. Minus three. Yeah. I have. Oh, a your youngest is three. Three okay. and an eight-year-old. Yeah. Oh, a little younger than I thought. Okay. We have a nice five-year age gap, which has been really lovely. Right. I have simply. Yeah, we have like a four between the first two, and then two and a half between the yeah. second and third. So. They both have their ups and downs on the age gap. Overall, yeah, I'm I'm a fan of less gap in general just because you're just elongating your like diaper span <laughs> uh, but yeah but there are benefits to the gap at times yeah i mean it's like one of those things where it is what it is so right. i'm gonna tell you that it's amazing because what else right. That's can what i got. tell you yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of done but uh it's been really great we are coming up to that point where we're we're a family of four humans you know like i can see like you know going on road trips you know like she's old yeah. enough now where like i can start seeing it where the oldest is obviously ready to go and right. the was kind of like well i need a nap so, <laughs> no it's amazing now that our youngest is five it just changes everything like yeah you can just do totally real stuff now it's fine you could go on you go on like an intellectual style vacation like that's what like next year we're going to go to europe for like a really long time and it's like yeah we could do that and it won't be horrific because we're dragging <laughs> like a two-year-old around and they want to nap and there's a play pack and play and the, all that crap oh. like it's just like no they sleep in a bed they eat food they go to the bathroom on their own bam like we could we could do real stuff now and uh yeah it's Andre, it's gonna happen eventually yeah. I, I gotta make it. <laughs> right? You're gonna take a vacation. All right. <laughs> Wait, let, me, let me tell you, he got two days at Piers or whatever it was, and he came back. He's all revitalized. Is he? He's like uh, Superman now. So you, Andre, you gotta just take like you gotta take these three day vacations once every uh, four months. I've been I've been trying for two weeks to find a day to go up to Poughkeepsie to sit with you guys in an office for for an afternoon. Yeah, you gotta do that. Ba- baby steps, brother. Baby steps. <laughs> Getting close. That, that's like a vacation for you. Come up here to Potown, hang out. Poughkeepsie. <laughs> well, you know, we like we like. Phil, uh, now I'm looking forward to next step after Poughkeepsie is is getting to a point where the grandparents could babysit the little one for a weekend. We could go up and spend some time with the with oh, wild bit folks in Philly. Yes, good donuts and fried chicken and all kinds of good stuff there. Oh. There's all kinds of good stuff here. <laughs> No, I was telling Andre because Chris and I take a lot of vacations without the kids, and so. Uh, ah, so we we're so mad at you for that. <laughs> I know, I know. Terrible, terrible story. Yeah, we don't get money without the kids. We're working on them without the kids. Our, we have some situations, but we're working on it. Hopefully. No, I mean that's hard. You guys have three, and and I mean I I I don't say that lightly. We're extremely lucky we have family nearby. I mean both sides of our parents are 
very close. So yeah, we, we lean on them very heavily. Yeah, it helps right. to have a support network around you for that. It's extremely yeah. important. Yeah. No, no jokes. All right. We'll let you go. Thank Thanks you so much. Thanks friends. I'm so it. glad we got to talk about GDPR. <laughs> what else were we going to talk about? Come on. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> we should have done this a week ago. Then it could have been like in the lead up. That would have been even juicier. But you know what we should have talked about is hiring. We should talk about hiring. I know. Will you come back on? You're we'll welcome to come back anytime. Because yeah. Twitter was really mad at me about hiring. So I think I, really? I, I missed that. Oh, I was in Morocco and Twitter got really mad at me. I've never found the, tr- the yeah, Twitter was really mad at me. Don't it, start a Twitter fight when you're on vacation. I didn't start. I was defending Josh Pickford. That's all. People were really mean to him, and I defended him. And then, there they found me. I was oh, like, no. oh no, I was found. We're looking was... forward to a Wild Bit article labeled "John Pickford is not a dick." That's going to be the title of this thing because that's what I remember from that Twitter thread. That's I did. I... sentence of a three. <laughs> like I don't even know what you call it. What do you call it? A thread or a whatever. Thread, I guess. Yeah. I don't know how Twitter works. And... Oh, man, I'm gonna have to check this. I'm gonna have to dig around. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't read that. I literally just caught literally that le- last sentence of that, that thread. Somebody was like, "He is actually he is just a dick," and I was like, "No, he's not a dick." <laughs> <laughs> True, he's not. I had a similar thing with GDPR a week or two back, like with a tweet that went viral-ish, and it was just like a hundred people arguing with me on it. And it was, but like the best part was it's so GDPR perfect because half of them, like everybody thought they knew the law perfectly. I'm like sure, like 95% of these people haven't done a DPA, haven't looked into the law at all. Like they just know like the surface, and all of them are arguing against each other totally certainly. Like, right. oh, no, you have to do this. Oh, no, you have to do that. Everybody's totally conflicted. I'm like, oh, this is so perfect. Like, nobody knows how it works. And uh, all these people who think they know how it works are telling me how it works in totally different ways. So well, that was funny. It's so terrible because, like, I, I, there was probably some really valid points in there that are hard right. to see because everybody's just so angry. Uh, right. And it's like, come on, guys. And please don't call Josh Pickford a dick. He's not a dick. I like that guy. Come on. He's, well, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. I mean, like, he said something. He's been nice to me. I mean, I don't know. He's not a dick. Uh, he's, just go look at it. It's a, it's an interesting perspective. It's, a, it's, an, it's another uh, check mark towards uh, making a non-anonymous internet some more civil discourse. Well, there's the, there's one guy who was like, who are you and why are you even on Twitter? Or why are you <laughs> talking? And I was like, I don't think I'm anybody, but who are you? There may be some value in your idea of joining, you know, a real life business owners group where you could just go and have normal people's conversations. I, I I'm telling you, I'm not I on the internet you. almost ever, and I, it's really valuable to be around regular people. That's how Jamie is too. She's she's good at that. She's not on Twitter too much. She's like, whatever, I don't care. You can do <laughs> both. I think so there's like both, right? Like, but I think we end up, our brand is kind of like Chris and I sometimes, right? Like in what we share. And so I think that's important for, for a while, but for the team, for recruiting, especially. Yeah. Uh, but I can't get sucked into it. It's just so angry all the time and not real. Yeah. No. <laughs> all right. Uh, we'll leave it there. We'll come back. We'll do the follow-up on the Twitter fight uh, next time. Thanks so much. Now. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks a lot. my friend.